Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Feeling is Musical, as presented by the Snowish County Music Project. My name is Erica Lee. Today is the first of two episodes with Katiri Collins, and we're chatting about how white therapists can build trusting relationships with black clients. Please note that this episode includes content about post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, black racial trauma, and white supremacy. Katiri Collins is an expressive arts therapy graduate student at Lesley University. She identifies as a black queer woman who wants to fight for both the black and LGBTQIA community. She is an artist, a musician, a poet, and loves children. She's very excited to work with young kids doing play therapy in her final year of clinicals. Well, welcome, Kateri, to the podcast. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. Um, I want to get started with a question that we ask everybody that comes on the podcast is how did you originally become interested in expressive arts therapy? Well, that is a great question because it is a very um, small field, (laughs) but very exciting. Um, So I never heard of expressive arts before, but when I um, transferred to Leslie for undergrad, I had heard a class about it. I took a class and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd always been interested in psychology and um, realized that I had been kind of doing the arts throughout my whole life. Like I'm a musician, I play the flute and sing. I've done a lot of musical theater and regular theater, dance and music, and I write a lot of poetry. And so when I realized the power of the expressive arts and how arts can be so healing, even just for myself and how involved I was in the arts, I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, and so I found out they had a master's program. And so I went on to do expressive arts because I had engaged in kind of all of the arts. Um, I decided that it would be best for me to do the expressive art since you kind of dabble in a little bit of everything. Totally. That sounds awesome. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you. I read your thesis. It was so good. So much to think about. Thank you. For our listeners, I, the thesis is about decolonizing the expressive arts. And so that's what we're going to talk about throughout this conversation. And I will also include a citation and if I can, a link to Kateri's work so that you can go ahead and explore that for yourself. Um, So the first thing I want to start off with is there's a difference between how the DSM defines PTSD and what PTSD related to racial trauma feels and looks like. But in thinking about these two different ways that we consider PTSD, how would you think about approaching a client or caring for a client who has overlap between the two types of PTSD and what could they gain from or expect from a therapy experience? One thing is so our our listeners know that PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. And by the DSM, PTSD is based on one major traumatic event. But when we think about racial trauma, it is continuous. Um, it's never just one event. It's throughout life. Yes, there can be major like racial trauma events, but yeah, it's continuous. Whereas 
regular PTSD is based on really one event. Um, one thing that I am particularly interested in, which a lot of clinicians are talking about and actually use the term, but the DSM has not put it in there, is complex PTSD. Mm. So complex PTSD is about numerous events. Why it's called complex? Because it's not one event and it can be continuous. And so if I was going to relate like racial trauma, I would relate it to complex because racial trauma is very complex. You could have a minor incident, a huge incident, and there is a difference between the two. Um, but in terms of providing like therapy for it, one huge thing for both PTSD and racial trauma or like continuous trauma is providing a safe and trusting space, which is extremely important because often with PTSD, some sort of trust has been broken. Mm -hmm. um, and there can be triggers. And when you are able to create a very trusting, safe space, this allows for um, better internal work to be done. And part of that, once the trust is able to be established, then you can work on coping skills, um, even in terms of like incorporating the expressive arts is especially with trauma, you can't just like come right out and be like, Hey, tell me your story. <laughs> no, that's just not yeah. gonna, how it's going to work. And so, especially with the arts, because they can be so powerful is allowing for the process to naturally happen. And so that might mean one day we're doing art or some more of the arts. And then another session, there isn't. But even in that process, allowing for time, patience, and understanding um, through the artwork and even through the talking to allow for the um, process of healing to go through. So it's... There's so many things that can happen, but a lot of it, like I said, is developing a trusting and safe space, allowing for the art process to go on their time mm. and giving them time and patience to tell the story. However, that might be through the art verbally both, but you really need to have that container, that really safe and trusting container and allow the process to naturally happen. Yeah. I really like the, you just said, um, going at their pace, at the client's pace. And it just reminds me of how any kind of therapy experience, regardless of what discipline you're in specifically, just therapy is not this linear process. It's an all over process and you're moving up and down and backwards and forwards, kind of all simultaneously at the same time. Exactly. And I mean, it can literally take years, years of processing. Um, and sometimes you could start a process, stop, and then restart it many years later. Mm -hmm. Trauma work is not easy. It's complex. And you just really have to give that person the, the space and time and healing to be able to do all that. Yeah. Um, in your work, you cite lack of cultural competence in therapists as a significant hindrance to racial trauma healing, particularly the lack of training and learning curriculums and professional development. How does talking about building a trusting space, how does cultural competence support a trusting therapeutic relationship, especially between Black clients and white therapists? 
Yes. So this is a really important piece, not just in therapy, but also in working environments, but specifically in therapy. When an individual is culturally competent, they have the ability that that person can understand, respect the values, the attitudes, beliefs, and other aspects of um, different cultures. Um, so kind of when a white like clinician is going into a session with a Black client, there's kind of this minimal foundation that they're not going in blind because um, they have some sort of kind of foundation of information of learning from the Black culture, from doing cultural competence training. Mm. Um, but one important thing that I feel is really important that would help with white clinicians working with Black clients is that white clinicians like start off by admitting that they come from and grew up in a white supremacy environment in history. Mm-hmm. Also admitting that they have more privilege than their own client and also stating that they don't know all about the black culture and open to learning and also correction. So when you bring I feel like when you bring this to the table it helps to increase that trust mm. because the, the therapist, the white therapist is admitting like, okay, I don't know everything. I'm here to help you, but I'm also willing to learn as I'm willing to help you as well. Mm. And so that it's so important to have that education of learning cultural competence. But even if there's not much training in the educational system for becoming a therapist, I think even if therapists just admit that, yes, I grew up in a white supremacy environment. I do have more privilege. You know, I am willing to learn. Please correct me. I think just those simple basic things would help Black clients or even other clients of color in general Mm -hmm. just to kind of help build that trust because white clinicians aren't going to know everything. Totally. They are going to make mistakes. They are going to make assumptions. And if they, you know, if I make a mistake, please correct me. And then the black client or the uh, client of color can be like, okay, you know, I can have that conversation with this person that's trying to help me, but also know that hopefully if feelings potentially do get hurt, that they can work through that in a positive way. Yeah. Um, Using the word admit. And I wonder about um, if we need to be explicit in saying like, To me, admit means like out loud acknowledge, not just in your mind, like say these things to yourself. And there's so much power in out loud saying something. There's power in speaking things over yourself. And there's power in speaking those things to the person you're working with. Yes. I um, live in a fat body. And so there's a lot of power when my therapist who has thin privilege acknowledges her thin privilege to me in the middle of a session. And I've been working with her for over a year. And it's still like, it's not a just the first time you meet with them thing. It's a continual thing. And then also, if there is feedback to be given or there is a thing to resolve, how you as a clinician respond to it matters immensely. You can't just say, go ahead and give me the feedback. You have to really then integrate it back into your practice. Yes. I get fired up about that one. So. um, (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) 
Um, when I was reading through your thesis, this thought really stuck with me. Um, it's, I'll just read it. It says, uh, quote, the expressive arts also have the ability to internally heal the body's trauma. This often includes both the arts and spirituality, end quote. I'm curious from your perspective, how do you address the spiritual domain within your work? And what can this look like? I think we talk a lot about physical things, cognitive things, other parts of our humanity, but the spiritual domain isn't something that's addressed as much. Yeah. And and especially spirituality, I do want to like phrase that spirituality does not mean religion. Mm. And you can oftentimes spirituality is having a belief in higher power. Um, and that could mean anything for anyone. And so I think that spirituality, especially I can say for um, African-Americans, Blacks, that often having connection to a higher being has um, led them to be able to feel a bit stronger. Mm-hmm. And even in terms of like the spirituality and arts back in slavery, they would, in terms of coding, that someone is running away. So their slave masters wouldn't know this, is that they would actually sing. And a lot of their songs that they sang are stated as spiritual songs. And so it was a way of coding, but it was also integrating the art of singing with also being spiritual at the same time. Even if um, you're a clinician and you're not a spiritual person, because there's many people who aren't, um, but if you do have a client that is, definitely recognizing that and validating that. Um, And even if you aren't a spiritual person, having maybe that client bring in maybe a music or writing what their higher being means to them and allowing them to kind of communicate how that involves um, in their life and how that can be used to maybe develop coping skills or work through various issues that are going on. So Mm, that validation piece is just so important to the therapeutic process. Um, a new term to me is artivism. Is that, am I saying that correctly? That was something I discovered. Yeah. In your thesis. And so I want to talk about it a little bit for listeners that might be unfamiliar with the term. Can you just describe what it is and then maybe what your experience has been with it as a coping strategy? Sure. So artivism. So basically what it is, it's art and activism combined together. And as we think about activism, it's really solely about uh, social change. While when you incorporate the arts, the arts actually move a person in a very powerful way. I'm sure you even know what music therapy, that it really moves the person's heart, body, and soul. And art speaks to us in a way that activism may not necessarily do alone. Mm -hmm. So when you kind of combine the two of activism and art to create artivism, it creates a space where the art can empower them to give them more desire for social change and to allow it to move in a way that is more emotionally powerful to enact change. Yeah. So we have been, I think, 
coping with this and using this without necessarily consciously like naming it. Sorry, I, just, I feel like I cut you off. Can you tell me more about your experience? Okay. I just got so excited about it for a second. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it's being used, but it just, this term kind of just recently came out and I stumbled upon it. Mm. Um, but there were so many examples across the country. For example, the Black Lives Matter movement, creating street art to create more powerful and moving messages through the art that you can see a piece of art without having words and just be moved in a way you're like, wow. And also because of the pandemic, they've been having a lot of restaurants eating outside. And at least where I live in Massachusetts, they have started creating like concrete barriers, but they've actually have had them paint the barriers. Really? Yeah. And so, and it's, it's interesting because also where I've seen a lot of these painted barriers are also in more um, cities that are on the lower income. And it's like, wow, this, this art is absolutely amazing. And so instead of just having boring concrete barriers and already not a particularly safe area, you see this mm. art and it's like, okay, this is more inviting area than what people's um, perceptions might be. Um, I can say from my own um, artivism, if you want to call it like <laughs> activism, I would say it's definitely been in grad school. Mm. Because that's kind of like what my life is right now. <laughs> sure. Yeah. A lot of it has been through poetry, fighting the white supremacy in my program through art and kind of showing them that some of your practices and some of your education material is so outdated, you mm. know, and fighting fighting it through the art and kind of showing like, I'm not going to sit here and just be quiet. <laughs> I yeah. am going to voice my opinions verbally through art, through poetry, through the class. And I think that's kind of where my um, artivism is definitely in the, um, the school. I mean, especially what my thesis was, I was like, I'm not going to sit back and be quiet. <laughs> yeah information that needs to be out and I'm okay with the repercussions if there are any. <laughs> if you'd like to know more about the music project, please visit our website at S is in Sam, C is in Cat, musicproject.org. On our website, you can also find transcripts for every podcast episode. If you want to follow along and receive notifications when new episodes are released, we encourage you to subscribe or connect with us on social media at SC Music Project. Thanks again to Kateri for being here today. Thank you listeners for listening and we'll talk to you next time.